0: can everybody hear me, please?
1: Yes, sir, we can hear you, sir.
0: Hear me, lovely. Okay, let's begin. Uh, I think we've got everybody here. So let's try and begin this, uh, to what I regard as a very important webinar. The Demographic Dividend in Pakistan. We've been yelling about it for the last 20, 30 years. Uh, I've gotten old hearing about the Demographic Dividend. Uh, The fault of this probably lies with Durain Nayab, who wrote this paper about 20 years ago, that Pakistan has a young, youthful population, which is a dividend if that population is put to work and if that population works well. Unfortunately, I don't think we have succeeded in making that population work. I don't think we have succeeded in making it work well. So it could very well be a population... um, would be the opposite of dividend. It could be a population bomb, it could be a population loss, it could be a population whatever, but I think there is a problem there. So today we are going to revisit this demographic dividend uh, theme. Uh, This has been used by many prime ministers, by many dictators that, hey, we are going to do this with our young population. But I've also heard this said at the bureaucratic table uh, in front of the prime minister, that we will train these young people and send them to the Middle East. Now, there are about 100 million of them. Can we send 100 million people to the Middle East? At the same time, we've also got the issue of the population increase. I mean, there are some people who keep lamenting the fact that we need to decrease our population and that there were, there were initiated programs and population planning. The programs still remain. I mean, I'm sorry, the program don't remain. The people still remain there. They're employed. But I don't think the population planning program works very well. So for that, we've got one of Pakistan's leading ladies who began the population planning program, Dr. Atiyan Dr. Atiyan has uh, kindly agreed to join us on this. So she will tell us about the population planning program. But we've got a great pop, uh, panel to discuss the demographic dividend. Dure Nayab, of course, uh, she's PID's research director. She's done a lot of work in this area. She's one of the leaders in this area. So uh, Dure Nayab will tell us about how she's updating her work on the population uh, dividend. Then, of course, we've got uh, Dr. Zeba Sattar, formerly of the PID, a deserter who's left us. But nevertheless, Dr. Zeba Sattar is a well-known population analyst, now with the Population Council, has been running the Population Council for a while. Dr. Zeba is a, um, one of the most, foremost population uh, uh, analysts in Pakistan, a leading uh, thinker in Pakistan. So of course, we'll be honored to have her uh, give her analysis as well. And then of course, we've got Dr. GMRF, another PID, uh, former PID person, a well-known demographer as well, who's worked on many, many uh, commissions and many themes on poverty and on the population. So we've got a great panel. And I don't think you need me to... Um, you know, continue to talk on the subject on which I know absolutely nothing. Neither do I profess to have any any expertise in this. My job is only to introduce the panel and start and, and get out of the way and let them educate you. Uh, so let me begin with Dura Nayab setting the stage and then we'll go on from there. Nayab, go ahead.
2: Thank you, Rata Nadeem. And you got the numbers quite wrong there. It's not 20 years. It's not 30 years. It's much sooner okay. than that
0: much longer than that
2: uh, sooner
0: okay,
3: okay. <laughs> right. Let's
2: Just give me a minute. Okay. Why is it? I'm sorry for this. Somehow, it's not starting from the start. I am. There is a Technological glitch, it's not starting from just just give me a minute. Okay. I'll... I think it's fine. Yes. So uh, when Dr. Saima asked me to be a panelist on this webinar. I was a little confused where to start from. There's just uh, too much that comes under this topic. Then I thought, why not start from where I ended some 14 years back. And this is the paper that Dr. Nadim was talking about. It was done in 2006. Demographic Dividend or Demographic Threat in Pakistan. It was arguably, or maybe unarguably, the first paper on the topic in Pakistan. And it had a rather ominous title, Demographic Dividend or Demographic Threat in Pakistan. I think there should be a question mark, but in it. This is the last paragraph of that paper. So I would just like to revisit the conclusions reached in 2006. I would quickly read these lines, you can read along. Demographic dividend is inherently transitory in nature. Due to lack of prior planning, Pakistan has almost wasted the first 15 years of the opportunity demography has offered it. However, age structure will continue to be an important force in the country for the next 50 years. How economic growth is shaped by demographic changes in the coming years will depend on the ways policies and institutions respond to the challenges and opportunities the future holds. Time is running out to put appropriate policies in place, the absence of which may result in large-scale unemployment, immense pressure on health and education systems. In short, a socioeconomic crisis may take place, making the demographic dividend more of a demographic threat. Sadly, this paragraph is as valid now as it was in 2006. And uh, the only change I need to make it sound current is to change 15 to 30. Pakistan has almost wasted the first 30 years of the opportunity demography has offered. it. If I quickly go uh, through the issues that are linked to demographic dividend, its population growth and the dynamics, the very essence of uh, demographic dividend is the changes taking place in the population age structure. Then the related labor supply and its absorption, human capital and savings. Starting with population growth, uh, this is The graph on the left I've taken from my paper in 2006 and the one on the right is is, uh, based on the projections that are available now. And as you can see, the fertility did not go down as was expected. So the proportion of the population in zero to 14, let's see how population is projected to be in 2050. In 2006 and now. So if you look at the 0 to 14, it was thought that by 2050, 22.6% of the population would be aged 0 to 14, but now the, recent, the most recent project, the projections put it at almost 25%. The slowing down of the fertility decline is very much reflective there. Likewise, it was expected that the elderly population would be around 9.7%, which is now projected to be 8.4%. Like I said that uh, the fertility behavior has not exactly gone the way we thought it would go when I was writing that paper in uh, 2006. So if you look at the evidence uh, provided by the Pakistan Demographic and Health Survey, which was done in 2017 and 18, we see that the TFR has slightly reduced to t- uh, 3.6 from 3.8, which, which it was in its previous around in 2012 and 13. The contraceptive prevalence rate, the use of modern methods has in fact gone down a percentage in five years from 2012 to 17. The unmet need, despite the slight decline in uh, modern contraceptive use, the unmet need has also lowered. And the demand for contraceptives on the whole has gone down from 55% to 52%. The mean ideal number of children that women in Pakistan want is still 3.9 and men 4.3. So the ideal of a small family size is not really prevalent in Pakistan, even in 2020. And all this fertility behavior is reflective in this trend that we find the timing and duration. This is how we projected the timing and duration of demographic dividend when I was doing my 2006 paper. It was believed that this uh, window would close by 2045 and doing the same calculations with the new projections this is how it looks like now the window has gone further five years ahead that's 2050. Uh, I mean I would honestly ask that if this window keeps shifting to a later year is it really a window I mean, this just shows that our demographic trends are not exactly going the way which we would have liked them to go. Coming to labor supply and absorption, which is key to uh, reaping the demographic dividend, Again, I would, I mean, this is the last time I would be reading some lines from my previous paper, but these are very interesting lines. Uh, In 2006, I said that increasing number of people entering working ages in the country can act as a double-edged sword. If they do not enter the labor force, the very logic of demographic dividend is defied. But if they do become economically active, it poses a big challenge to the country's economy to provide them gainful employment. This is quite improbable in the absence of sound economic policies and educated and skilled workers. With its poor current educational state, training and educating the ever-increasing population for a changing economic scenario is another test test confronting the country. Uh, I think, again, this is as valid now as it was then, except that the double-edged sword that we were talking about then is still a single-edged sword. The numbers uh, in our labor force uh, participation have not increased. And uh, this test of providing uh, education skill, it, it's there. It's still there as it was in into. I mean, the revisit is showing that we have not really made the progress that we should have. Like I said, it's still uh, single as sword. Here are the labor force participation rates from 2006, again on the left side, and uh, now it's just an increase of 5% in the female labor force participation, and that's reflected in the total participation. Otherwise, there is no massive increase that could have helped us reap the dividend that we were expecting. Despite uh, these uh, low rates for females, if you look at the unemployment rates, they are almost double for females than they are for males. And I'm sure Dr. Nadim would say that these unemployment rates are much lower than one would expect. Even if we go by these unemployment rates, they're still quite high for females. If it's 4% for uh, males in 2017 and 18, it's almost 9% for females. So the economy is not treating both the genders equitably. The jobs are not there for females. And here, I mean, we are talking about unemployment. We are not even talking about less productive jobs or underemployment. This is plain unemployment. If we... Since demographic dividend is all about the youth bulge and the age structure, if you look at the unemployment rate by age and sex, you see the much talked about youth is the one that's suffering the most. The unemployment rates are highest for the 2024s, 25 to 29s, and then they start declining after around uh, 34 years of age. And again, we see for all ages, except for the 15 to 19, the unemployment rates are much higher for females for every age than they are for males. Again, if we look deeper into it, uh, the whole idea of dividend is not just employment, it's gainful employment, productive employment. And the male and female difference is again visible here. Among the working uh, females, the employed females, 52% are employed as unpaid family workers. They are helping the males who are getting paid, but in their own right, they are unpaid family workers. So this this whole thing shows you uh, the weaknesses in the economy the inequality in the economy. We link uh, human capital to employment when we talk about dividend. Yes, education is important, but when we talk about uh, reaping the demographic dividend, it, it has to produce something and that something is gained through employment. Just look at, the unemployment rates for those formally educated in Pakistan. As the educational level goes up, the unemployment level goes up. And again, the unemployment rates for females are much higher than for males. And just look at the unemployment rate for females who are, uh, who have a degree. I mean, that means 14 years of education or more it's almost 40% and i am not showing those graphs here if you look if you if you disaggregate these figures into rural and urban and by provinces i mean the comparisons become so stark balochistan rural areas the the rates are very very depressing Training. I mean, we keep talking about uh, education, but why not skill development? And here, if you uh, look at the unemployment rates again, uh, these are, if you look at the excesses, the that's formal education with additional training, and additional training does uh, reduce the chances of uh, unemployment for the earlier educational levels. But again, for the higher level, even getting training those have higher unemployment rates than if you have no training. So formal education plus training is not adding any value to those people's ability to get a job. Now we come to savings. Savings, if you ask me, is the core of all this, uh, the idea of demographic dividend, because it is that, those in the working ages would be earning more saving for their lives. And even there is talk of a second uh, demographic dividend. Uh, Pakistan is far, far away from the second uh, demographic dividend. We are still looking for the first one. But savings is very important. Why savings are important? Savings are important uh, at both the levels, national and personal level. At the national level, they are needed to finance investment and growth. And at the personal level, they are vital to maintain a standard of living through period of retirement. This is true of a Pakistan where no state security or universal pension system exists and individuals are primarily reliant on their own savings during older ages. Me, uh, a more recent work done by me and uh, one of my colleagues, Umar Siddiq, for estimating the generational economy for Pakistan can help us understand uh, this more clearly. We did the national transfer accounts for Pakistan estimating the generational economy. And <coughs> this is how you see the lib- income and consumption at each age for Pakistan. I mean, this is a picture that we see for many countries. Now we have it for Pakistan as well. Uh, This is a generic picture for demographic dividend. And this is the area where there is a deficit. You see, they are consuming more than they are producing. And then here, how do these, the people in the younger ages and in the older ages uh, fill their deficit in the absence of income. It's only this small group aged uh, near to 29 till age 58 that are producing more income than they are consuming. And just to have a clearer idea, this is, this is how it looks like. I mean, this is the, these are the only ages that are producing more than they are consuming all other ages are in deficit. Don't go into the equation, it would be very difficult to understand, but this is the summary of the generational economy in Pakistan. Consumption minus labor income, this is the deficit, the first yellow bar that you see. This is the deficit and the whole calculations showed us that This deficit is filled by asset income, Income A. Where does, what does Income A means? It is the assets that is a result of a past saving, the asset accumulation, and that is used to fulfill the deficit that exists between uh, the consumption and income at the lower ages and then at the higher ages. Estimates of generational economy tells us that the life cycle deficit in Pakistan is primarily met by private sources, basically private asset-based income and savings are needed to fulfill not just personal needs, but also the deficits faced by the young and the elderly and for asset accumulation, which is found to be the primary source of funding, the life cycle deficit. Okay. How do we make this demographic opportunity a reality? Of course, we need to focus on health. Health care, including that of infants, children, reproductive health with enhanced family planning supplies and services. Then focus on education. Education and training are vital to provide productive employment, but it should not be education just for the sake of increasing enrollment rates. Education should be of quality, it should be of relevance, it should be linked to the economy of today. I mean, like the numbers we saw for the unemployment rates for the educated uh, people in Pakistan, that tells you that there is sort of an education inflation in Pakistan. People have degrees, but there are not enough jobs for them. And I think this dilemma is faced by the employer and those looking for employment both. Savings are very important. I mean, savings cannot be stressed enough. Uh, right now, the gross domestic savings as percentage of the GDP is a low 5.4% in Pakistan. These are the figures for 2019. And when I did the paper in 2006, it was 17%. And like I showed that uh, said income is the main source, but private savings are not conducive to growth as they do not provide liquidity to the banking system which is needed for investment and to trigger productivity and growth. And for savings, low inflation and price stability in savings are critical. i mean, changing policies every day. People are going to feel insecure. They are never going to uh, save in formal system. We at PIDE believe that growth is of essence if we want to reap the demographic dividend. This is another study done recently at PIDE the blue line shows the GDP growth and the Rust one, the total factor productivity growth. And if you just look at the dotted lines, that's that would show a linear trend which is going down. So with time, our growth has gone down. Forget about being static, it has generally gone down, and this needs to change. At PIDE, we are working for a growth strategy and our estimates tell us that we need a minimum of 8% growth to employ all the numbers that are being added to the population. And that's the minimum number. That is just to employ people, to gainfully employ them, which could lead to growth. The, uh, The growth rate has to be much, much higher. And the focus is on developing institutions, institutions linked to governance, legal framework, market development, reducing transaction costs, improving information flows, having competition, innovation, and entrepreneurship. We'll have a whole webinar on this, so I'm not exactly going into the details, but these are the areas that do do need focus. Uh, I'll sum it by saying that a demographic dividend is equal to helpful demographics plus good economics. Pakistan has missed on reaping the dividend till now. The right policies, which are linked to both population and economics, we may find things different and hopefully better when we revisit it the next time in Pakistan. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Doctor Naya. Well summarized. <clears throat> um, I, as an economist, remain confused: Is population growth good for us or bad for us? What is the relationship between population growth and um, uh, the economy, and vice versa. So I'll turn to Dr. Atiya Nayatullah, who's uh, probably the foremost leader of the population program in Pakistan. Dr. saiba please tell us, why did the population program never succeed? Where did it go? And uh, is population growth good for us or bad for us? Should we try and reduce it? Should we try and increase it? Dr. Saiba, over to you. <laughs>
4: Uh, I'd like to, first of all, thank you, Nadim, for this
0: opportunity.
4: Can you hear me?
0: We can hear you very well.
4: Okay, okay, okay. Um, To be with in FIDE's webinar today on the critical subject of demographics. Mm -hmm. Nadim, I don't want to go into a long story about the population program because I think that what we need to do today is to restore our confidence that this country can make the demographic dividend, uh, transition a dividend and not the disaster. So if you will permit me, family planning will definitely come in there. And I will also be mentioning what the main issues are over there. But my first request is that you, Nadim, the vice chancellor of PID, are known as a mover and a shaker. And after you hear, you've heard one very informed presentation and you're going to hear two more. And my request, my first question to you is that being the mover and shaker, the question is that can we expect you to be an ardent champion of the cause? Number one, after this and two, how can PIDE contribute in generating serious traction for Pakistan's demographic dividend? I'd say that this is a critical question. You have said that is population growth an issue? Is it a problem? It, yes, very definitely it is. It is the, the common denominator in all development issues. And may I say that Pakistan, whilst it deserves to be an Asian tiger, it has only 25 years more of the 50 years window of opportunity left. This is the five decades of the transition. And this is compounded by the dangerous trajectory, which we have just heard from Dure Sami of a stagnant fertility decline. This is very regrettable that Pakistan has a stagnant fertility decline, high poverty, and if I may say, and you are the economist, an economy on life support. The demographic transition in most countries of the world where it was, uh, has started, is about to successfully end. You know, Durej nayab was talking about the second transition. Yes, there are some countries which have already completed uh, the first transition successfully. And we in Pakistan, and this is the important point, and that is why I'm not excluding myself to family planning only, we are in a dangerous default mode. And it is important that we note that because this window is 50 years, and then we do not know when we will get it again, it doesn't automatically roll forward. From all accounts, if I I may like to say that the demographic dividend is souring, and you've seen it from the figures which Dure Niaab gave us, and some two decades of the dividend have unfortunately gone down the drain. लेकिन मैं यहाँ कहना चाहती हूँ कि मैं को समझती हूँ और मैं समझती हूँ कि यही काम अगर There's a great resilience in the Pakistani nation and my question then is that are we as a nation ready for this Will we be brave and strong? And for that, we need the leadership. Can I say categorically, I believe, and this is not just my wish, but Pakistan is on the cusp of a democratic transition that can and will yield the dividend. Why do I say so? there are three key forces at play. uh, And I would take them one by one. The first essential prerequisite for that demographic dividend, which we are talking about today, relates to the nation's demographic profile. So population is inevitably the common denominator for any progress in any sector. The transition begins with the change in the age pyramid as Dure Nayab has told us. And through that, what we are looking for in that change in the pyramid is a fall of fertility to the replacement level. So are we going to achieve that? What we have seen is not good news what we have seen that the 1998 census revealed a salutary fall in the birth rate. And what did the census 2017 do? It gave the nation a very rude shock when we learned of population growth of uh, 2.4%. And then the salt added to this injury were the family planning population sector CPR, and the decline in CPR, and a static TFR. Why is this so? And here I'm giving you a simple, not simplistic, but a simple answer. Bide has asked, why is this so? And uh, I'll give it in one line, and that is the collapse of the family planning program was due to the fact that there was no change management plan with the 18th Amendment. And the second very important point, that the period before the 18th Amendment, the family planning program, and we have uh, faced it many times over, and that is why we look for champions. And I'm so grateful we have so many of them uh, as presenters today and around the table. The program in the political era, before the 18th amendment, it was consigned to sheer and pure neglect. And Nadim, please note the words I'm using, that this program, it was in doubt, it had money, there was everything good going for it. But the fact of the matter is that it was never in, implemented with the spirit, the commitment, political or administrative, that there should have been. But then, as I said, we can make it a dividend. We can. And yes, we have a silver silver lining for you. And I'm now going straight to the population uh, family planning program. I would like to share with the group, with the audience, that the resilience of a small but committed population uh, group of advocates, many, all of whom are your presenters today, uh, through the uh, magnificent contribution of the Chief Justice of Pakistan, who as his legacy had this group of advocates and these professionals to prepare a policy and to put together an action plan. This was being done during the time that we were having uh, that one year period when we were in the election mode and very rightly so the action plan for the fertility management component of the demographic transition was made. Uh, Now this excellent plan of action and the policy and I would like to tell all our viewers that it led to a TFR of 2.1 by 2045, and that's doable, and a PGR of 1.2%. So it's doable. The plan is there. The Supreme Court forwarded that plan, which was prepared to the CCI, and this viable and doable pragmatic plan was given on a silver platter to the present government. And what happened? It received a dhakka start response, not unexpected. And the mechanism of population family planning task forces have become something of an apology, if you will permit me to say. Plain and simple, Mr. Vice-Chancellor, Pakistan is doomed to explode due to its runaway population growth. The responsibility of avoiding disaster is squarely that of the leadership. And I repeat this, it is the leadership that is now challenged because the people of Pakistan have spoken As Dure Nayab said, and I will give you the uh, figures, 70% married couples want no more children. Out of this, 52% of them want no more, and 20% want to space the next birth. And therefore, Nadeem, my answer to you is the game changer in reaching this low hanging fruit of 9 million plus couples is the answer to getting the dividend. The CCI approved action plan and the voice of the people. There are 9 million plus couples who want family planning. It's time to make family planning good politics. And I, I hope that you will bear with me when I go to the second element of the demographic profile, and that as Dure Nea worked very well and talked about it at length in, is the working age population, which grows at a faster rate. Now the working age population was growing, as our census tells us, but then she has also shown you that it is not, Uh, uh, kept up with that uh, growth rate that was required. And what we need is that the working age population should grow faster than the dependent population. That unfortunately is not the situation today. This swelling cohort in real terms means a youth bulge. And this is very frequently talked about the youth bulge of Pakistan. And we are going to have and need 36 million jobs in the next 10 years. This must be made, as Dureni Nayab said, may I say, a productive asset. In three E's, for these young people and for the youth, the three E's are education, employment, and empowerment. And don't we all know that this is the right and the smart thing to do? And yet, how regrettable! The ratio of employed to working-age population is abysmally low, and Pakistan, and I say this with all responsibility, still does not have a pathway of productive and marketable skills for the need, and need, of course, is you know those who are not in education, in school, and training. Allow me to warn that neglect of this age group and this population, oh, to the low if we confine them, as we presently are doing. And this is really so painful to say it, that if we confine them to the low-level skilled traps, they are in traps today, we will and are making them incendiary material for internal security. And I don't need to elaborate on this. You will all understand what I mean. My third point, which I wish to make regarding the demographic transition and its attainment, this is a concomitant factor and it is of development of the human capital, which Durea Nayab has talked about. This, this, the dividend comes, number one, when there is a greater per capita spending on quality health and of course, education. And I will not talk about that because she has very clearly said what we need is meaningful education. And can I also add there health, education? We need a paradigm shift. All our data is telling us of investment on women and girls. Quite clearly, women are not the object of development. Let us make them also the tool of development. And that is possible and we can do it and my last point which i would like to make how do we go about it and this is systemic the last point i'm making unless we don't have the governance and we don't have systemic things i would like to point out and here i would like uh, nadim's comments on this at uh, in the question answer stage i believe there is a deep disconnect between social sector and macroeconomics, and this must be bridged. And here I would like to give only one example, and which is admirably covered by the Population Council and Dr. Arif in the publication, asking for climate change through a population lens, in which they have clearly told us that this the concomitant factors for progress and prosperity are issues such as climate change. And in that they have discovered issues of water security, environment sustainability, and uh, 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 the various other glacier melting, etc., and so on. Now, if this is the situation, we cannot have more of the same in nation and provincial, in national and provincial planning, because that type of planning has become counterproductive. The socioeconomic growth growth pattern, uh, and that is what we are working on in Pakistan. At present, our socioeconomic growth pattern stands on inequity and unsustainability. Allow me to say that this is bad politics. National conditions and international commitments call for a new development paradigm which recognizes the population factor as being the common denominator. Wherein demographics are mainstreamed in national plan documents, And there is alignment. We have this absolutely wonderful set of SDGs. They are very comprehensively made and our plans have to be aligned with the SDGs. So as we are looking at this new paradigm, can I request the moderator to pronounce on centrality of population stabilization in policy and plan documents in Pakistan. I would like to conclude. Dure talked about Dure Niaab, about whether population would be a transition or a threat. May I take you a step further? It is not a threat. It is not an emergency. The population factor is today a disaster. So let us look at it as a disaster. And we are good at disaster management. And as I have told you, we worked very hard for one whole year, if not more, on the policy and on an action plan whereby we would have a viable family planning program and absorption of the youth bulge and economic growth. It's all there. We can no longer put things under the rug. What must be addressed must be looked at. And all I can say is that the demographic transition. Let us be positive. It is Pakistan's tailwind. It is not a headwind. No doubt it is about big numbers, about big threats, but also about big possibilities and big big challenges. Will we rise to the occasion? Thank you.
5: Dr Nadim, please unmute.
0: Thank you very much, Dr. Tia. as usual, very provocative, very thoughtful, and very clear. I appreciate all that you've said and I think set a great stage for bringing in Zeba Satar. Zeba, can you tell us is population growth a tailwind or a headwind? is it a disaster or as Dura Nayab says, the demographic dividend will last till 2050 so why don't we just grow our way out of it let, population growth go up and take the demographic dividend to 2070? Or are you still for reducing the population growth rate? Zeba Satar, former UPID, but now Population Council, can you please enlighten us?
6: Um, Thank you very much, uh, Nadeem. uh, And thank you, Saima, um, for inviting me to speak at PIDE. Yes, you're right. I mean, that's where I started uh, my career. And um, I must say that even then I was very frustrated, and that was back in the 80s, uh, early 80s when I returned with my PhD, I was very frustrated as were my fellow demographers with the attitude of economists towards the whole issue of population growth. Even when we had this huge uh, macroeconomic model about economic growth and the future of Pakistan's economy. I think population featured is one little P0, P1, you know, one little point in the equation, uh, mm-hmm. an afterthought. Mm-hmm. And I was really quite reassured. Uh, we were very excited. I'm going to talk impromptu. I think all the substantive points about the demographic dividend, the threat, et cetera, have been addressed so well by Dr. Dure Nayab and Dr. Atiyan I'm just going to recall the history of PIDE and I want to recall that, um, you're doing your stretches Nadim. or anyway, um, that it was, I think Larry Summers um, who came out to speak for, I think it was um, development for all, I think was the title of his uh, speech 1993, I think it was or around then. And all the economists were so excited because Larry Summers was coming to Pied and to speak. It, a famous economist and he's going to tell us how to fix our economy and lead to great growth. And he really focused on the thing that we should have focused on all along education and particularly female education. Um, So when we talk about, uh, you know, what's been going wrong with family planning programs, I do agree with Dr. Atya, all the, the, the blueprint of what we should have done, should do now, could have done is all in front of you, but the fact is, um, it's a failure to recognize that investing in people is what it's all about in terms of development. No amount of um, macroeconomic planning, etc, can succeed without um, investing in education, um, generating growth to generate jobs um, you know for this cohort. So when you talk about the tailwind or the headwind, Basically, uh, one fact is for true. Uh, I mean, you can't deny that. Population growth rates do eat into economic growth rates. And if you have a sorry situation, as we have now, where you're generating hardly 1% economic growth, as it is, uh, you're stirring up disaster. There will be no uh, savings. There will be no, um, you know, uh, how how will you generate generate, um, jobs in that situation? The tailwind, headwind, whatever you want to call it, was an opportunity uh, that that particular aid structure was offering us and will continue to offer us till about 2045. My figures differ a little bit uh, from the Yaps. By the way, we also did an analysis slightly, um, I don't know if you can see it, capturing the demographic dividend. I, I was, thanks to this, I went back and i remember dr nadim that we came to you in your office you were then the deputy chairman plan mm-hmm. and since you're uh, very cynical about your fellow pakistani demographers i brought with me uh, one of the leading demographers internationally dr john bongartz to try and convince you as in your position as deputy chairman how important it is or was and should have been then that was exactly 2012 eight years if we've lost I 20 years, I mean, eight years, I can blame you at least, and people like you who poo-pooed the whole argument that there was a demographic, an opportunity that Pakistan's aid structure is offering that did require greater investments in skills, employment opportunities, particularly for young people who are new entrants in large numbers, um, and for women. Uh, all, all these points have been made by Dr. Dharinab and Dr. athia But what do we have today? Um, I also want to throw out my figures that really make me feel sad. Uh, Yes, women's labor force participation is 22%, not because women don't want to work. All our research shows us that women and especially younger women are really keen to work, but the opportunities are not available. When they're not available for men, how are they going to be available? Um, About 40% of Uh, new entrants into the labor force uh, age 15 to 24 have either no education or less than primary education. And unemployment rates for those uh, young women uh, who are 15 to 24, who are looking for work, unemployment rates who have more than secondary education is 66% as opposed to something like 38% for men. Uh, These are pathetic figures, and they reflect market failure. They reflect the failure of development planning in Pakistan. I'm so glad to see on the screen, actually, Dr. Shokat Hamid. Um, He led the whole exercise that was perhaps one of the last um, last ones that I remember at the planning commission, where, I don't know, 100, 200 intellectuals, so-called intellectuals, were brought together to focus on what was the vision for Pakistan. And we presented, I mean, actually it was the first time I, it was around 2010 that I really came across what a fantastic opportunity we have when economies like China and Japan have shrinking working age populations. Um, we were looking at global, uh, the global picture. Pakistan has the opportunity as, to, as does India, Bangladesh, where we're going through favorable aid structures where we could really garner um, you know, our labor force to be really productive within Pakistan, but also outside Pakistan. I don't believe that we have to always export. What are we exporting now? And I think Dr. Arif will speak to this. We're exporting unskilled, uneducated labor, mainly as a push factor because they're unable to find any unemployment at home. It's not this fantastic brain drain that we're exporting highly skilled labor. So my point is that I think that the the, the elephant in the room to blame are, I would say, economists with, you know, you are one of the leading economists and thinkers, Dr. Nadim. and eight years ago, and even before that, you really didn't regard this as, imp- but I, I think even now, uh, when Dr. athia says that, uh, you know, we, we, this, this, these recommendations approved by the Council of Common Interests were presented as a gift to the incoming prime minister. Um, I have made repeated, we have made at the Population Council, we made repeated efforts to the, we've presented to task forces, I've met every possible minister, um, etc, etc. But that, that traction is missing. And I think the tipping point would be, if the economists really said it is beneficial for Pakistan to have a reduced, um, reduced fertility rate, just to be in line with other countries of the region. We have high unmet need. So we just be responding to what um, men and women married couples in Pakistan want. We are are not for coercion at all. Um, I think the bringing down of the ideal family size, I'm glad Dr. Durinia. So coming down from our current 3.6 to about 2.8 is just reducing unwanted fertility through better services, health services and family planning services. And that requires greater funding, incidentally, but not huge amounts, minuscule amounts compared to what you require to really get all children in school, which I think is as important uh, an objective. But um, furthermore, to bring the ideal family size that Dr. Neap talked about from four to about two uh, requires the difficult part. It really is about Uh, raising education levels, improving opportunities for women, and changing, making the tipping point about the value of children. So uh, I think that requires a bit more effort. But believe you me, I don't think other countries have done this in a very rapid time. Um, Iran, Bangladesh, Nepal, they're all in this region. Uh, Most parts of India are at replacement fertility right now, below replacement fertility. Why can't Pakistan do it? I just think that for some reason, we found excuse after excuse after excuse not to regard um, fertility decline as an important part of development planning, something that was really common sense at the time of Mehboob uh, You haq know, Subsequent meetings, I mean, I recall meetings at the planning commission where you couldn't have a development plan if you didn't know what your population size was going to be but go to the planning commission now, I don't think they'd even know what precisely is the population growth rate. We don't even collect data on that anymore. So I'd like to wind up and say that I think that it's very easy to talk endlessly about the fan planning program has failed and this and that, but I think it's the whole paradigm of planning for development that has really come apart. Uh, Partially it is due to the cynicism of economists to recognize population growth as a huge factor in the economic paradigm, I think they could definitely correct that. And secondly, I think, uh, I hope that somebody at the planning commission is attending this seminar to realize that they're really, without this, you're really not going to move forward and you have to have uh, a better match of uh, what happens in terms of, um, you know, even education, but also the skill development. And when our prime minister talks about, we'll just provide skills and send them off. It's going to be even more um, difficult with these challenging times when there are all kinds of barriers that are coming. I think we have to find homegrown solutions for our economy and how to grow it and to adjust to our gift, which is a large labor force um, right now here in Pakistan. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Zeba. As always, <laughs> you have launched a very successful attack on economists, which I take. I agree entirely, economists have made many mistakes, not just the population, many mistakes, and I totally stand by that. But let me bring in Arif Saab to resolve the issue. Arif Saab is one of our uh, PID's foremost economists. He was responsible for the PID demography program for a long time. Arif Saab is a specialist in poverty analysis, et cetera. He's right now on the committee, uh, the government's commission for poverty analysis. Arif can you enlighten us? I take the blame for economists, but the question again is what is the ideal population rate? And um, is it just a matter of supply of uh, contraceptives to bring down the fertility rate or is there a demand phenomenon there? I mean, I'm, I'm still being an economist. I continue to ask these questions. Is it the economy that's going to lead population growth or is it the other, or is it vice versa? And what can the government do to deal with the demographic dividend, Arif Saab?
7: Uh, <clears throat> Thank you, uh, Dr. Nadeem ul-Laksab and my uh, colleagues for giving this me opportunity. Uh, after listening to my three very <clears throat> prominent and uh, uh, famous demographers, it's very hard for me to say anything new. Uh, my presentation and discussion were more or less at the same lines, but uh, Dr. Durya Dr. Tiyan Atullah and Dr. Zeba Sattar have already said to us. But during this presentation, Dr. Nadeem I was thinking, can we can bring anything positive uh, with respect to population change in uh, Rather just going to the long list of our negativity about the population, uh, I was just uh, uh, when I during this discussion. Really, I had different types of notes for my presentation, but uh, I just want to bring to three points. Uh, uh, many people may not agree with me, but let me say that the without any major investment from the government side on population and particularly on youth and particularly on the working. Uh,
0: aref and... uh, move kar uh, uh, computer working
7: the population change in not household size with the poverty there is a clear a uh, Association, very strong association, family size and poverty rate. Uh, lower the family size, then you can say lower the poverty rate. And the other thing, which when I was at the PI, we did a couple of studies that if you see the transition or moving out of the poverty, then this dependency ratio and all this age structure, it has a positive impact at the household level. To come out of poverty, or to move to move from the poverty status, and to be in a in a better position. Here, my point is that the if you see, uh, even at the national level, uh, without uh, any solid, or you can say, sustained economic growth for the last uh, 15 years, we have witnessed a gradual although it is quite slow decline in in, in poverty i'm not sure we have not uh, done any research to see what is the contribution of uh, this uh, dependency ratio decline on this uh, poverty reduction but i'm sure that this phenomena has an impact on this uh, uh, this uh, poverty reducing in the country and helping uh, uh, some of the mm-hmm. household with the lower family size to improve their uh, their living standard this is my first point which uh, i was thinking that the, i think it uh, it helps to uh, to 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 give more focus to this uh, demographic and fertility issue uh, than than uh, more than what we have done in, in the past second thing i think uh, which i would like to say uh, I was just reading a couple of days ago the uh, famous champion of demographic dividend, Professor Mason, who was saying that the demographic transition is basically the transition from rural agrarian society to urban industrial, predominantly urban industrial society. Uh, The agrarian society has high fertility, and this predominantly urban industrial society has low fertility, then it means that the demographic transition is moving from high fertility rural society to low fertility urban and industrial society. That has not happened in Pakistan, but here I would like to say that we can see a transition in terms of uh, in terms of population movement within the country, if you see the the urbanization level in Pakistan, then it is not only demographic transition; we are also passing through a urban transition where uh, the share of urban population is gradually increasing. In fact, that if we just relax little bit definition, I did it for the 1998 population census. At that time, my estimate was that the 39% of the population is living in urban areas. And if we apply that uh, very robust and strict criteria, I say, then uh, nowadays the uh, population living in urban area must be uh, close to the 44, 45% living in, in, in this. And it has impact on on many aspects, uh, uh, demographically and also economically. I can see this, this one a positive sign uh, on, the, on the population side that uh, our population is de- redistributing itself and people, they are moving from agrarian structure to the, to the more urban thing. Although our industrial base is quite big, it has not capacity to absorb with these people. urbanization has many problems, uh, but it is a positive sign on, on, on the population side. And the third issue, which uh, I would like to say, uh, recently I have to work on a couple of things, and I, I believe that this uh, overseas employment is a partial demographic dividend for the country, not only for Pakistan, but...
0: Arif sahab, we seem to have lost you. Arif sahab, can you hear me? Sir, Dr. Arif sahab, there's
8: a signal issue.
7: Oh.
0: Okay. Chhane ji, then while we wait for Arif
7: sahab, let and me... ...and uh, to, to get back... ...but still...
8: Is it,
0: Pardon? Arif Sab, we can't hear you. Areasab, then we'll come back to you a little later up signal So Saima Bashir, who's the organizer of this webinar, we have her much gratitude. Saima, would you like to a few say a few words before I turn to the floor?
5: Thank you, sir. Um, I'm really grateful to all the panelists that uh, uh, they accepted (laughs) uh, to be part of this webinar. Um, um, They have said almost everything, and, um, uh, but I uh, personally want to, like, uh, raise a couple of points. Uh, Just, I just want to, like, uh, we are talking about the um, uh, female employment and female empowerment and stuff. But if we look at, um, Um, uh, the statistics that almost in every uh, one in every three girl child uh, of secondary school enrollment age enrolled in the secondary school. So I am just thinking, I have this question from the panelists that um, what type of some strategies uh, that we need to increase secondary school enrollment? Um, Secondly, um, like uh, when we talk about uh, the family planning, we are in last 50, 60 years, we were taking it in terms of the supply side, but what we have done in terms of demand side, uh, when we look at the recent statistics, contraceptive prevalence rate has declined uh, a percentage. So I just want to uh, know like, why are not we creating demand? Like what are the innovative ways to create demand? Even um, uh, like uh, the fertility side, um, like uh, if we look at the TFR, that is much higher in educated women. That is around, um, if I'm not, the ideal family size for the woman, educated woman is still three. That is much higher if we look at, if, if we compare with other um, countries in the region. So I, um, I am still thinking that um, what are the innovative ways that we can create demand for contraceptive rather than just focusing on the supply side of? One of the way is to give them. Uh, um, good education and then raising the opportunity cost for the women and that can only be done if they find the meaningful um, employment Um, and thirdly that um, um, we are all talking about uh, the leadership interest so i just want to know like this is just a question i don't know the answer um how can we get today's leaders interested in benefits that may not be realized for years or even decades what like how to get the policymakers and leaders involved in this debate. And um, that's all of what I want to know. But I just want to like emphasize that we really need to work on uh, the women empowerment, particularly investment in women's education, but not only in education. We need to provide them the meaningful uh, employment. Um, and one of the most important factors, which I missed that, was that how can we talk about decline in fertility rate when our infant and child mortality rates are so high? Are, uh, the st- uh, statistics are really poor in terms of that. So um, I just okay. want, the, like, the uh, panel to take up these questions as well. Thank, thank you,
0: sir. Thank you. I'll request the panelists to please note down all the questions. I'll go through these guys, and then you can, um, you know, take up all the questions that you have so let me bring in some people uh, who want to participate um but uh, i would urge everyone to please keep your comments short because otherwise uh, you know uh, the panelists won't have time to uh, say what they want so let's make sure that the panelists are really the people who talk here so uh, amir durani sahab, first can you go please go ahead short interventions please uh,
3: sir amir durani has disconnected right now
0: Oh, brilliant! Okay, okay, and uh, then uh, what about Azhar uh, Nadim sub?
3: Yes, sir. I have one observation to make, that is that we can have a turn our population explosion into a big dividend by, uh, by adopting any of these approaches. One is the comparative advantage approach. Which means that we should, in which we, for example, there are people who are skilled, for example, in tractor trolley and these little things are, you know, where we have comparative advantage. We can develop that. Secondly, is the Mexican approach, where we can give scholarships to those people who can't afford training, and we can impart training to the youth, as was done in Mexico. They, there, that was very successful. Third can be research and analysis approach that was adopted by South Korea. I think we can think on these lines and with this, we can turn our uh, population problem into big dividend. You know, young population can be a great asset also, apart from, you know, if it is properly trained and properly skilled. And this is what I want to say, my observation. Thank you. Good
0: thank you thank you okay can we go to um, uh, sweep jamali sahab of the business recorder Sueb jamali please go ahead
9: yes thank you so much uh, considering that i have uh, just 30 seconds uh, so i'll just uh, shoot very precise three questions uh, the first question is um, about pertains to the trends in fertility rate and uh, the, the the trends in use of contraceptives Have the trend reversed after uh, devolution, uh, as some participants uh, perhaps alluded to? The second question is, uh, uh, why are we still, uh, and my understanding is that we are still using archaic uh, means and methods of uh, uh, creating awareness. Uh, So so for instance, uh, are we using, are we harnessing technology or are we harnessing uh, local level radio, FM radio, or other such uh, new means to to increase awareness and the third question is uh, and this uh, I, I don't know whether whether the panelists here have an answer to it but i should like to put it up is that uh, why hasn't the private sector ever uh, taken up on on the agenda of population so we know that uh, they make these cute little csr programs on education and health or whatever but they still it, it may not those those funding uh, may not move the needle but it creates a lot of din anyway so why hasn't the private sector the business associations um, or or even big corporates ever taken up on this agenda uh, we we do see that uh, some social you know some companies uh, go towards um, have adopted uh, advertisement campaigns on on social agenda on social issues such as women power, empowerment and female education, but uh, it has never um, the population control or, or not control, but uh, pop- the subject of population has never been raised uh, or, or discussed widely by the private sector. And I'd like to find out if if the panelists have ever um, discussed these affairs with the private sector and what have been the responses. Thank you.
0: Good questions. Good questions. Leba Amir.
2: Hi, first of all, thank you so much for a very informative webinar. I just have a question regarding the policy measures, the sort of concrete policy measures that we can take to include female participation in the workforce and by that extent to sort of include female participation in the education sector as well, not as teachers, but increase the rate of females getting educated to uh, have productive employment. Thank you.
0: Good point, good point. Shokat Hamid Khan, Shokat, sir. Former Member Planning Commission, former member Atomic Energy, et cetera,
8: Former everything. Thank you very much. But uh, just to correct Dr. Zeva Sathar, uh, it was not hundreds of people. We only selected about 63 people around the country, and we're very grateful for your contributions, especially to this demographic transition that would happen and how we might tackle tackle it. We learned a lot. And you are also one of the few, only out of, out of the 63, only 27 people gave a written proposal, written comments. Everybody else was just verbal. Would meet, discuss, and just uh, go away. I, I, I am a little uh, unhappy. Some excellent data has been presented. Views have been presented. The issue is we cannot support a larger population. But Dr. Atiya said this very precisely. This is going to be a disaster. We don't have the land, we don't have the food, we don't have the water. We just can't handle this. It's not there. Population has to be reduced. We can't take the Chinese method. But we can do something else. We we talked about women. If we can make people look for employability rather than employment, then I think people will be forced to look to an alternative. And the way to do this is, we have to revamp our education system. We don't need graduates and PhDs. The skilled worker, the knowledge worker in this century is a worker with higher skills, different skills. Out of a population of about 215 million, about 81 million have less than 10 years of education and 55 million have less than uh, eight years of education and about 15 million less than five, which means they only went there for a year. Now, why don't people, children, complete their educational record? Because there are no skills attached, but then this Koenig's and others, Bishop and Maine, did a lot of survey in the OECD, other countries, that if the, 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 the uh, what you call inducement for completing the education program and at the, at the, up to the secondary level, is if they get certain skills. And let me share with you, this O-level business and A-levels in Pakistan, I did O-levels. When I went to England to a madrasa there as an undergraduate, I discovered mm-hmm. that everybody in O-levels there has to take at least one vocational subject. And people normally took two. Now, opportunities, there are so many of them. Let's take the case of Amir Bhasha Dam. The people are going to be displaced we have an excellent opportunity here to do some social engineering. Gentlemen from B- Balochistan talked about Balochistan's issues. Gavadar, How do the people in Gavadar or people in Balochistan contribute? Give them skills, skills relevant to the economic corridor, mm-hmm. relevant to what the port requires: hospitality, storekeeping, you know, mm-hmm. welding, uh, fish preservation, fruit preservation. All these little things matter. And I'll, let me also share with you, we have our uh, enrollment ratio in the 12 to 19 age group in formal technical and vocational education is only about 3, 3.1%. It's about 35 to 40% in Turkey. We can't manage even our waste uh, mm. and, and the sludge that comes out. 36 to 40% of the uh, crop Output is spoiled. We don't know how to, how to handle uh, uh, spoilage there. So basically, reform education the first 10 years. Make people, in, and, and, and if you give them skills, they can go and make sure they try and complete. And here, I will just invite you to the Bolsa Familia and the Solidaridad program in Brazil and Mexico. And this may also help in family planning. A child is born. The mother has to take it to a clinic Mm. for vaccination. Mother's health is monitored. The child's health is monitored. And then it was initially for five years before the government would give them a stipend. Now we have this Benazir program and the ASAS program. Let's link it rigidly Mm. to certain activities. Mm. Don't, Don't give money unless they do this. And then... If you do an old for primary education, you kept, keep getting a stipend. Now in Brazil, they raised it to 10, 10 years. And same happened in Mexico. So these are little things. We have that, the money is there, but tweaking can be done. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Shakasab. Thank you very much.
0: I think we've got Nosheen here, another PID demographer, um, very famous demographer. Nosheen, E.B., would you like to say something? Dr. Nosheen?
1: Oh, sorry. Let me put my mic. Okay. Uh-huh. I was muted. Uh, assalamualaikum alaikum to everyone. Thank you, Nadeem, for giving me a chance. And uh, I just was hearing the panelists for the past 10-15 minutes. Everyone really raised, put forward good points. And we have been hearing those before as well, because we already have had three or four rounds of demographic dividend. And... Uh, Again, it is good that uh, PIDE has taken the initiative to revisit that, but Mm -hmm. the issues I think have even uh, multiplied, I would say. If we look at the data, we still are lagging almost in every indicator, high fertility, state of education is poor. But to be very brief and short, uh, I think I would like to raise a question on uh, the state of education in Pakistan, which has multifaceted effects, you know, on employability, on uh, skill development, on population growth decline and uh, growth as well, you know, raising productivity, all that, everyone knows about that. So if we look at education, I think the government present regime, despite having a lot of policies, you know, this has happened, enrollment rates, we have large deficit in education, But the present government, you know, in the Nea Pakistan, I'm really worried because it is still experimenting and try is thinking of bringing the uniform curriculum. So what's uh, my question is that if uh, and with the COVID-19 situation, when the schools and colleges and universities, they're mostly closed. So how do we take this? You know, we want to take this debate forward Mm. and uh, and see that uh, you know what kind what sort of effects it can have if we are still experimenting and trying to uh, bring in one curriculum in all the, in the regions of pakistan mm-hmm. and uh, what sort of effect it will have that is my one question and i think the second is to just uh, we still have to really be very deterministic about what is really the core issue that can really bring this uh, demographic opportunity into a reality Uh, because uh, the issues are many, you know, and we still have to come forward. And and I think I like Zeba's point when she really attacked the economists because we were in that group and we were trying to convince and persuade all the economists that we have to mainstream uh, population growth. It has uh, (laughs) this central stage, but we were uh, everyone was ignored us and he said, oh, demography, it means nothing. So Nadim, uh, this is all I would like to say, and I'm glad that Biden is still, you know, thinking and taking these kind of initiatives. And we would very much like to have your support in this now, bringing down the fertility level. How can we do that? Okay, thank you.
0: Thank you, Nasheen. I take it it's entirely the Economist's fault. We'll talk about it later. Sarah Nazamani, last question by Sarah Nizamani of the IBA. Uh, Sarah Nizamani, go ahead.
2: Uh, hello, madam. Uh, Sir,
5: so I was just wondering if I wanted to ask if you have a study to know the effects of current pandemic on fertility rates, because from what I was reading, I see this different pattern in rich and poor countries. In countries like ours, women, they have less choice, and in rich countries, they have more control over family planning. But there was something else that I read, which, which, I, which I found very interesting, which was that the fertility rates, they will not necessarily go high. And this shows from Brazil's experience from Zika virus where half of the pregnancies, they are unintended in normal times. And research shows that their births, their births rate, it dropped after Zika virus. So do we have insights uh, on this? Thank you, sir.
0: Great. So thank you very much. I think we've got a great round of Questions and comments, and I think it's absolutely wonderful. I'll just turn back to the panel, but very quickly, I just want to raise two or three things. One is absolutely, I accept the Mia Kulpa. I'm totally, we are totally at fault. But then, you guys also have to clarify for us what needs to be done because I, I keep hearing about the fertility rate and the family size, and you run these regressions, but ultimately we don't know where what to do about it. Then everybody says increased education. I'm not sure whether education works. The um, app showed us the high unemployment rates for it, the educated people, 40% education uh, unemployment for the higher educated people. Why are we handing out degrees when there are no jobs? And the students are reacting very well. I know how the students are reacting in PID, I see them. They say they want a quick degree without doing much because they realize the payoff is not great. And they want a quick job from the government or from anywhere so students have also become very mercantilist in their education. They feel that a degree is all that's necessary, not the skill. They feel reading is not important. The last point that I'd like to raise is which nobody has talked about: the advent of technology, with three D printing, with robotics, with all these coming uh, things coming in, even driverless cars. Do you think that the demographic dividend will have shortened? I I don't think you put that in your in your uh, calculations. With all these things happening, for example, 3D printing coming in, do how much labor will be necessary? Autonomous cars coming in, will our taxi drivers return? So there are all kinds of things that need to be thought through. Is it just a question of bringing the fertility rate down? And I, the only question that I have with Zeba, which I raised with you then too, I just don't know how to bring the fertility rate down. As Saima said, is it a demand problem or a supply problem? So okay, folks, I'll turn to the panel now. Uh, Let's go quickly to um, Dr. Huthiwa. Would you like to address some issues first? Uh,
4: Yes. Thank you very much. I think this has been a great session. And Mm -hmm. I want to commend you on organizing Mm -hmm. this and on the excellent response that we have received. I hope that we Mm -hmm. are going to get our champions for population out of this. Nadeem, to satisfy you, it was economists who brought and the demographic transition onto the table. Go back to Bucharest, where they talked about development is the best contraceptive, and then coming down the line, it is economists like David Bloom, very, very renowned, wh- who have worked on this, and they have got sufficient robust evidence for the demographic uh, transition. And uh, it is a five decade thing. It is like the industrial revolution, something that will move forward. And I do believe that at this point of time in the history of Pakistan, with all the mistakes we have made backwards and forward, we must and we must go for the demographic transition. And through planning, through the planning commission. As I suggested, we need a new paradigm uh, over there. Uh, can I go to some of the questions we've heard? The first, uh, which, are, yes, Saima, thank you so much for very, very uh, efficiently following up with us. And we have enjoyed being a part of the part uh, of the uh, PIDE webinar. Mm-hmm. And thank you for organizing it and putting it together. Mm-hmm. You talked about the fact that we are looking only at the supply side Mm. and not the demand side uh, of family planning. Please recall Saima, that today, the people of Pakistan want family planning. There is a huge demand, Mm. which I mentioned was the low hanging fruit. There Mm. are nine million plus couples
0: Mm.
4: who want to practice family planning. So it is not an issue of demand at this particular point, but yes, I fully agree that we need to keep on talking through the social media, through media, through whatever sources of information we have got. We need to keep generating awareness. And I would also like to tell you that one of the reasons to my mind for this very high demand from the people of Pakistan, rural and urban, One of the reasons uh, is poverty, and there is a direct link between them. I would also like to bring to your attention when you talk about demand, how can a country, an Islamic state, have the number of abortions which they are having? It is out of sheer desperation. People not, there is not only a demand, but they are desperate. So let us look at the supply side. And the supply side is very, very, um, I'm I'm very disillusioned yet again with the inability to get supplies down to where it should be. And I would like to mention here that Pakistan, if you look at it per capita, the amount of money, and as Zeba mentioned, the excellence of the demographers, she has been able to bring to Pakistan at a minute's notice the experts in the field, no shortage. We have the best programs, we know what to do, we do not do it. It is implementation, implementation. So when you are talking of the supply side, the best, in fact, we were a model for countries like Korea, our supply side where the contraceptive so that we would not have contraceptive stockouts and contraceptive, the contraceptive security was given special care. And that method was running just as today we are working on how to get the vaccine down to the lowest level. We have worked out how to get that contraceptive to the village level, but it doesn't work. It's all there. So I, I think that it is very important that we need to understand the plan is there, the activities are there, We know what to do. So I will come immediately to the leaders. We have talked about the leadership. Yes, leaders are looking for long-term advance, they are not looking for long-term gains of what the people of Pakistan need. A politician plain and simple wants to say in one year, I want to show that I have revolutionized and changed the world. But I do hope that when I I have not given up hope, and there is an expectation that, certainly, the present leadership that we have, uh, they are are talking, and we have mentioned the SAS program and social safety nets, etc., and I'll come to that. But uh, uh, family planning and this whole uh, issue of population has been made bad politics. People are apprehensive, but let me also remind you that when the time came for President Ayub, who was the only bold and very strong champion for family planning, whom we have had at the top leadership, when it was time for Ayub Khan to go, he didn't go because of family planning. He went because of the sugar price. So please, we we unnecessarily make family planning bad politics. This has to stop. If the women want it, if couples want it, it is their right to have it. And a a politician uh, who has kept people uneducated has no business to take a decision as to whether it is good or bad. The next point which I uh, would like to talk about is, the uh, yes, uh, one of the questions uh, I mentioned that the... uh, uh, after the 18th amendment, because we had no change management plan. And before the 18th amendment, there was uh, uh, family planning was on no one's radar screen. And after the 18th amendment, there was no change management. Yes, as a result of that, the total fertility rate was stagnant and the contraceptive prevalence rate went down. Both are totally unacceptable. And the action plan, which has now been made, talks of achieving a replacement fertility by 2045 or 2015. <laughs> On Balochistan, I do feel that one shoe does not fit every foot. So let us, and that is why devolution is good, it is the right step, and devolution must go up to the district level. And family planning and the use of family planning and the practice of family planning until it does not go to the local government level, we are not going to succeed. And this is where it's supposed to go. It is a primary health issue. We are a curative uh, people. We go to hospitals when we are ill, we run around. But the fact of the matter is that a woman or a couple who are practicing family planning are not sick. So it's very much a part of the package of primary health care, which is neglected. Let us take it down to the lowest level, take it to the de- de- devolve it to the district level. And there, Balochistan needs special attention because when you hear of 12 children born in one family, a lot of it is replacement child they have such a high infant mortality that they do not, until the child born survives, they will continue this way. So this is one of the uh, uh, facts that need to be looked into. Similarly, in Balochistan, it is frightening when one hears of the child marriage situation. It is not in every province. So we have to look at each province with their own needs and address it, and mind you, on the economic side, Inshallah, Inshallah, there is a great day for Balochistan with the Pat Feeder, which is historical. And it used to have the best agriculture in that area and export it. And with CPEC, Inshallah, I believe that Balochistan will be uh, the province of the future for us. The uh, uh, education nadeem says even today uh, should it be education post covid or we are still in the covid era uh, and dure uh, talked about education inflation i want to also talk of the skewing of education i think that post that uh, in the covid period and post covid as nadeem mentioned we are definitely going to uh, into uh, the it uh, world and uh, digitalization is the future. And we need to look at it in here. I would again like to mention, we seem to have a knack in Pakistan for knowing how to do things wrong. And that is that Pakistan has produced, and these are reliable figures, 20,000 plus IT graduates each year. And the formal tech tech industry has been unable to absorb them. So very simply, our IT has not reached the transformative education potential, the uh, economic potential that it has. The IT revolution has to touch the transformative economic uh, potential, which it has not done. And I won't take any more time than my last The private sector, I I hope that uh, uh, Zeba will mention more about it, but the amount of time and interest and foreign funding that has been put into commercial marketing and social marketing of Pakistan uh, is very, very unfortunate that it did not work. But finally, can I say that we have to look at population multi-sectorally. You cannot look at it only as family planning. You cannot look at it only as population stabilization. You have to look at it holistically. And there we have talked about in that holistic, we put the woman and her empowerment, education, of course. Mm-hmm. And can I mention here that today, with population growing the, the way that it is, and I want to thank Shaukatsa for mentioning that, yes, you have to have a, a, a stop on your good, present growth, Today you need one primary school of 450 children every hour.
2: I'm
4: I'm not recommending the Chinese model, but I would like to tell you that I had the honor of being a part of that process. And when they worked today, I think that they are where they are because of the one child policy. And I think that it is time that Pakistan wakes up and understands that it too, can only be a nation tiger or whatever it pleases to be if it believes in population and its management. Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much, you. Dr. Sabal. Thank you very much. Uh Shokasab, do you want a quick comment before, because you raised your hand, do you want a quick comment before I go to the rest of the panel? But a quick comment, please, mm-hmm. I can't hear you. I think you have to unmute yourself.
4: Unmute. Can you
8: hear me now? I just want to bring to your attention, uh, after this wonderful summary by Dr. Atiyah, there is not much to be said. Two instances in the last 15-20 years where there has been a spike in fertility and also a spike in infertility. And very interesting reasons for that. A bit of technology comes into both of them. In the case of Europe, mm. there is an unbelievable increase in male infertility. And also some female fertility problems. And they have been traced to what you call factory meat, mm. cows, mm. chickens and eggs, mm. which are part of the diet. And the hormones given to these animals for mm-hmm. to speed up their weight, and so on, mass, and so on. And the mm-hmm. spike in fertility happened about 20 years ago. Please correct me, maybe 22 years ago. But mm-hmm. all the lights went out was it in a large part of the USA. Mm-hmm. And the, suddenly, we had these baby boomers. The mm-hmm. numbers went up. So maybe one way is to bring electricity into every home and a television everywhere, mm-hmm. and the uh, internet, so that people are busy washing these things rather than doing something else. Okay. Great. But Thank honestly, you. But we need to link SRS and leisure income Be- with doable actions in fertility, in family planning, and education, and vaccination.
0: Thank you, you Shau- Shaukat Saab. Let me now turn to Zeba. Zeba, by, by being, uh, Tia, Dr. Tia, has raised some very interesting points. Uh, Manchi says the multidimensionality of poverty, of, of population, and this is what economists are saying, that it's the economics that, de- de- that determines uh, population. And uh, that said, the next thing that I also want to raise with all of you is the NFC award is based on population. So when you raise Balochistan, if I was a Baloch, I'd increase the population. Am I wrong? Uh, you get a larger share if you increase your population, like the new census shows since century- you... Have an increase in uh, the NFC award because population has increased there. Zeba Sattar. Uh,
6: Ji um, let me start by kind of uh, apologizing for putting you on the spot. You were just the front face of economists. No problem. Um, this is an old I, habit. It may, uh, so don't it, worry about. Yeah, it. yeah. but um, I just want to um, let me take up the NFC award in just a moment. But let you ask the question. Um, How do we know that population growth has an influence on economic growth? Mm -hmm. Um, How can I be sure? Uh, I'm befuddled about, this is quoting you just now, befuddled, Mm -hmm. I do not know what economists can do about population. Mm -hmm. Just look at your neighbor, uh, Bangladesh, part of Pakistan. And uh, in, in 1971, we split up and they are uh, about 45 million less. Their per capita income has surpassed Pakistan two years ago. Uh, they're doing well in exports. Their women are participating. Uh, in their labor force participation rates are much higher. They're becoming a richer country. We are becoming a poorer country. I'm not saying it's entirely due to, uh, due to population growth rate, but it was the very thinkers, the leaders who thought it all out, they, they made a deliberate attempt to factor all this in, to make sure that they wouldn't be drowning in poverty, as we arrogant then was best Pakistanis mostly thought, Bengali inka It's I think it's going to be turning the other way around. Uh, I did want to quote Two lines from David Bloom, who wrote the forward the preface for our book uh, in 2012, and he is an outsider, Dr. Athia. He is the person who coined the word, I think, demographic dividend, or at least he was part of the group. He said about uh, the demographic dividend in Pakistan. Coordinating population and economic policies magn- magnifies the size of the potential dividend and enhances the likelihood of its being captured." Such coordination is especially crucial because there's both promise and peril embodied in an aid structure that has a relatively large working share. Large cohorts of prime age individuals can be a recipe for social and political instability where unemployment rates are high. And in Pakistan in 10 to 20 years, if there's a large number of unemployed or underemployed people, including tens of millions of young people, the country may face crises that off those that it has experienced to date. That's what we're talking about, Nadim. It is about, uh, if it's not about the type of educational opportunity, opportunities that are out there, we should be changing those opportunities. We should be ahead of the curve of what is required in terms of being, uh, you know, in terms of uh, the type of labor migration, in terms of the things we should be manufacturing. Certainly, we should be concerned. You shouldn't walk away from the screen right now should be very concerned about this low or non-existent uh, economic growth. How are we going to come, come out of it? You better come back, Nadine. Okay, let me um, go to some of the more specific um, questions that I would. I think Dr. Atya has covered only too well. Uh, but starting with Saima Bashir, I think that when you touch on uh, female employment and female education I would like to say that I think that that will be the game changer. I think it was one of the game changers in Bangladesh. Um, I already mentioned that we have done recent research amongst young girls and young uh, women who say the tipping point for education, secondary education is not a problem. The only concerns that parents have are really about their security. And you know whether it's worth the fact that if they send them to schools or the quality of the education they're receiving. But about employment, there is a gap. There is a gap in people's thinkings, particularly about fathers, the patriarchal structure, where as yet it is not the norm that we haven't reached anywhere near the tipping point about female employment because we are still at 22%. So I think when that changes, uh, for sure, I think that we will get a total change in the societal fabric that will necessarily affect uh, population and the demand for children. Um, I, uh, Dr. Arif raised the point, and unfortunately he's disappeared, about the relationship between, and I think this is one that we haven't capitalized on, it's negligence on our part, Um, we have done the research, etc. But I think it needs to be more rigorously uh, laid out for um, that poverty, I do not think, I can make that statement, that you would have experienced the poverty decline that you saw um, if you hadn't experienced the change in age structures that uh, our demographic window offered. So I make that claim and I think I can support it. So poverty decline is hugely related to changing age structures. Uh, I want to reinforce that. And um, vis-a-vis many of the questions raised by, I think, Suheb Jamali Saab raised some really fantastic questions about uh, you know the, the devolution. And I would like to build on this NFC award thing in in a federal task force uh, that the president now chairs, because the prime minister does not want to chair the federal task force on uh, alarming population growth rates, the two chief, chief ministers from Balochistan and Sindh have categorically raised this as an issue, particularly the chief minister from Balochistan, that exactly what you're saying, why should we reduce, how can we argue uh, for reduction in uh, population growth rates in uh, Balochistan when we have our share. Well, the, the 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 route to that is really, and we've been arguing for that for about, I think, five years. Um, they themselves, the two chief ministers said that they would come up with an offer, uh, a formula, where we could actually re um, reformulate the NFC award. So a small percentage, and I'm talking about 0.05% of the divisible pool does go to the province, provincial share, the provinces who are uh, doing better in terms of reducing po- population growth rate, or at least reducing unwanted uh, fertility or unmet need. So there is a way around this. Uh, it really involves the improvement of health, health uh, structures. And this is a point I want to make. Uh, Dr. Atya said that we've had excellent programs, et cetera, but I have increasingly realized that we, uh, unlike other countries, have done something fundamentally wrong. We had a population welfare department, a population ministry, because we thought that they would focus entirely on population. I think actually, uh, and I'm pretty convinced of this too, that it has led to uh, detrimental effects, that if we had really focused on packaging family planning, as a kind of automatic and very normal part of maternal child health of family health and included it as part of the primary health care package, which uh, I think that we would have had much better results because that is a system failure where the entire health sector, public health sector is hardly delivering family planning services, even now in 2020, after the CCI recommendations that it should Therefore, the private sector that Suhetsar talked about is hardly playing a role. Um, social marketing is a minuscule part. They get a lion's share of the donor funds, but is a minuscule part of the actual service delivery. And the for-profit private sector that could be delivering family services is just not doing that because we never thought of them as partners in this whole thing. I'm glad he brought this up because this is work we are really, and we really think that that's going to be another game changer when family physicians of tens and thousands start delivering and planning services. And we are also looking at corporate social responsibility to fund, help us fund this. So it all becomes a self-sustaining um, vis-a-vis ASAS and social safety programs. I'm with you, Dr. Shok, totally. Uh, we are in conversations with Dr. Sanya Nishtar. We are actually doing uh, a pilot in Yar Khan to show uh, we are giving actually unconditional cash transfers um, to women, or maybe you can call it conditional, for transport uh, for the poorest women to get those services. And we give a stipend to the providers themselves. I do think that I would like to say in the end, it has to be done in multiple ways, but there has to be an intent there is no intent. I don't see the intent. And it's a small group of people trying to influence. And I think if we broaden that group and the power of the economic argument, if we have it behind us and the political argument, I think we can make a real change. So I'll stop here. Thank you. Mm.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Zeba. RF sahab, can you please come in at this stage and Tell us, I'm still a little confused. What do demographers want? They keep blaming the economists, but I'm still a little confused. Is it just setting up a shop for family planning everywhere? I mean, what do demographers want, Sub?
7: No, no. <clears throat> I think demographers basically want that the population may be given central point in whole economic growth story. What the experience of East Asia has been, we want to see that experience to be repeated in Pakistan as well. And this can come uh, through fertility decline and also investing on women, children, and the youth people and providing them employment. Mm -hmm. And What you are saying, like in one of your articles, that we need 8% growth for the next 30 years, Mm -hmm. basically what we are saying, that if we invest on this uh, youth and young people, then it can be asset for the country and we contribute in the growth like we have contributed in, uh, in uh, East Asia and Southeast Asia. This is what we, we demographer want from the economists that take this whole population issue with you and make this whole working age uh, group rising opportunity a reality for the country. I think unless uh, uh, policymakers they realize this situation then we can lose this opportunity and it could be really a disaster that could not be very difficult for us to manage this whole issue of population. But finally, I think I would like to just contribute one more thing. Uh, What Seema has said uh, and also uh, Dr. Zeba and uh, Dr. Atiyah and Atulla. this is the issue of child mortality. I think unless we make this part of the population policy, it might be very difficult to, to think about fertility transition. I think in the mm-hmm. region, we talk a lot about CPR, we talk about, about other issues, but we little uh, will listen about this uh, high child infant mortality. And I was recently reading an article that the one death of a child brings two more children in this world. Mm-hmm. So this with been 60 or 70, I think, uh, uh, mortality per uh, 1,000 birth it's a very difficult to think about the, this transition. So Dr. Nadim, I think I said this is what we have done today. We want to take this lead and take this demographic issue and make this one as a as a part of the economic growth. And uh, we can work together to to, 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 for, to reality of this dream.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Sir, but I still have a problem, uh, which I'll address to all the panel, but uh, Nayab, why don't you come in and tell me very quickly. To me, population is just in the denominator, and it's a distribution issue. Should we go in for a one-child policy, like in China? Or what do we need to do? And secondly, I think I have nobody has addressed this, and you should address it, that if we take your charts that by 2050, demographic dividend will go away, or whatever, that is the window. I would suggest if you put technology in, the demographic window may not be beyond 2030. So, please tell us. I mean, does technology play no role in your calculations? Should you take into account the fact that labor-saving devices are in now, and that no amount of skill training or anything will help us? Okay. Naya, uh,
2: let me be the devil's advocate. Uh, economists in general, Dr. Nadim in particular, the new growth strategy I talked about in my presentation—it has population growth, labor supply, everything in its first chapter. Mm -hmm. So it's not that we are ignoring uh, these factors, but after this uh, webinar, I think uh, we need to elaborate uh, on those sections a bit more. Uh, I for one would not take uh, population and economics in a chicken and egg equation. It's not like one leading to the other, I mean, they're mutually reinforcing each other. It's not like we are in 15th century and infant mortality has to decrease and technology coming in. I mean, we are in 2020, things are moving much faster now. So like I said in my last slide, it's helpful demographics plus good economics, both at the same time. It's not that we have to focus on one and then the next one would enter the equation. It's both the things at the same time. Uh, somebody talked about uh, NFC. Most of our policies are very pronatal If you look at the government policies, I mean, you get uh, finances if you, are, if you are more in number. Uh, we talk about replacement level fertility, but even in government service, the maternity leave is for three children. You get the benefits for three children. I mean, why not reduce it to two? So, I mean, there are a lot of little things which can send in the correct message. Uh, we are talking about one child policy. I mean, in, in the comments, someone said that, is it against uh, religious ideologies? I would say, leave religious ideologies for a side, uh, at a side. It's against humanity, it's against ethics. I mean, I would not go for any kind of coercive policies. And I mean, China is seeing what uh, one-child policy resulted in bad sex ratios, female, futicide. I would never ever recommend that Pakistan doing it. No country should do that. Coming to your last point on technology. Yes, I mean, this uh, whole calculation does not factor in technology right now. And if we do that, then of course, I mean, uh, the numbers that the economy can absorb would be much lower much, much lower. In that case, Dr. Nadim, our population growth rate has to be even lower. I mean, since machines are doing what humans ha- should do or can do, it means if, if it's, it's, I mean, not even 2.4, much, much lower than that, much, much lower. So, I mean, you are practically advocating what the demographers are saying. The te- technology is also entering the equation our population growth rates have to go down for these unemployment rates. And I mean, like I said in my presentation, we are only talking about unemployment. We are not talking about underemployment, unproductive employment. If we factor in all those things, it's, it's, it's a very difficult situation. And I mean, in Pakistan, I don't think, I mean, technology is going to make a very big impact in the coming few years. coming few years, but 2050 is still 30 years away. So yes, I mean, uh, that that can be something
0: that we need to factor in. Okay, thank you, folks. I think this has been a very good discussion. I've at least enjoyed it. Unless anybody wants to have any last words, I'll close the session. I think we need a few more sessions on understanding the population problem because I still have too many questions left as to I can understand the dividend that you're talking about. But we need to make these calculations a little more dynamic. And we need to make the whole issue of population a little more dynamic. For example, I don't think we fully understand, despite so much research, we still don't fully understand why is our population rate not coming down? Why has it come down in the rest of the world? At the same time, I think the other issue that we have to uh, look at, which Safdar Sohail has taken the lead in, is the issue of old age. I mean, he's taken this issue of old age, and he's talking about the fact that old age Also in Pakistan is not looked after very well. And the fact is that now our population is going to get older. So by 2050, well, many of us might not be here, but by 2050, we will be an old population. I know Sri Lanka, for example, without taking the demographic dividend, has become an old population. So I think there are several issues that demographers must must take up. But um, I'm not sure if demographers really given us, I know our economists have failed. I totally agree with you. I've written about it myself. Our economists have totally failed because they keep harping on only one subject as Dr. Tia mentioned, fiscal deficit and taxes, all our economists worry about. They only worry about tax GDP ratio and fiscal deficit. Planning Commission, ladies and gentlemen, no longer um, plays the same role as it did. Planning Commission was emasculated in, in 1973 by Dr. Mubashar. Planning Commission, if you go and look at the Deputy Chairman Board, Dr. Mubasher made sure there was no Planning Commission. After that, it has really been just an appendage to the Ministry of Finance. We have no growth policy. up has been there. We have no idea of where the world is going because we really don't. When I mean, they make a plan or a vision or whatever, nobody reads it. So we are a country that's running blind. And it's the donors that are running the country. That we have we've discussed this in many webinars. We've had five webinars, including Rabani Rabanikar and Masooda Banu and many people. It's the donors who are making policy. They're running the country. So Zeba, um, before you blame us, please talk to the donors. And she let them share the blame, too. Why is it just poor economists, disenfranchised economists whom neither the Planning Commission wants nor the Ministry of Finance wants? They get all the blame, but the donors get away with it because they're funding us. But today the paper came out, sorry, ADB valuation came out, which said ADBs... Um, work itself was lacking. World Bank has tons of evaluation, but they say the the work is lacking. But yet, we don't get access to the finance minister or the planning minister's office. It's the donors who get our access. So I think the next time you blame the economists, please also blame the donors. Because we must understand, and this is something that we don't, we are trying to do this in in these webinars, we must understand how policy is made. People think of the government as a monolith that is all-knowing, all Um, you know, um, omniscient, omnipresent, etc., that it'll do everything, don't look at the failings of the government. We don't look at the policy process. We don't look at the fact that the last 10 laws, economic laws, have come all straight from the donor. Oxford Policy Management made your PFM. NEPRA was made by the USAID. All these laws come from the donors. So quite frankly, we have no policy process in this country. We have to begin to think about that so there's a lot of stuff to think about. Simplistic solutions in the government should do this and implement this will not work. We've tried that. We've tried many of these things. They don't work. So I agree with Dr. Atiyah that it is a complex situation and we should take the complexity of policy and the economy into account. But all these things, that's why we do these webinars. Lots of questions, lots of things to talk about. So folks, stay with us. Let's try and learn together. Let's try and see what we can do. Thank you. All the best. I thank all the panelists. For making this a wonderful debate. We'll continue, inshallah, soon. Thank you. Khuda hafiz. Thank you.